2: Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
1: You have 47 new voicemails.
2: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
3: Happy Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you.
4: We sure do.
3: And uh, we've got an entertaining and informative show for you as always. Uh, we're going to be looking at why the middle class is disappearing. Fun times. Uh, plus, news on a stimulus check that could be coming soon. Good times.
4: <coughs> <laughs>
3: oh my lordy! All right, and I can't believe the holiday's coming up so soon. Next week at this time, Ryan, it's going to be Christmas.
4: Yeah, it doesn't even feel like it's crazy. But also, we are in Los Angeles. It is it is cold, but it's not like snowy or anything. I think New York just got a, some beautiful snowfall, um, like a huge snowstorm. I was watching The yep. View. That's the only reason I know.
3: Did you get a Christmas tree, by the way? Yeah, I have a Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah. But did you decorate it?
4: My oh. decorations have been put on back order. And so oh, I yeah. have to just go out and buy them at this point because they're not coming from the place I ordered them from
3: that's lame yeah Yeah. i'm trying to figure out a tree but then it's like lame to get a tree right before christmas but i guess you could keep it up till after
4: uh january 1st right yeah i mean normally sometimes i keep my christmas tree up until like march (laughs) but that's low-key out of like pure lady laziness to be quite honest
3: one year i kept it up all year long and it was really fun
4: (laughs) it's exciting
3: (laughs) let's get into some what's trending this hour FDA has confirmed safety and effectiveness of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, and that clears the way for emergency use authorization of it. So that's coming soon. That will be good. Congrats, everyone. And speaking of vaccines, Sir Ian McKellen says he feels euphoric after receiving the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. the 81-year-old British actor thanked NHS staff as he received the first of two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine in England yesterday, saying, I would have no hesitation in recommending it to anyone. Now, Barstool uh, is introducing the Barstool Fund. If you are a small business that needs help staying in business because of COVID, uh, they're saying email them your story, barstoolfund at barstoolsports.com. They're gonna try to help as many people as possible and here is the president of Barstool announcing this.
2: New York City just shut down indoor dining. It's like, how do you expect these people to survive? How are restaurants going to survive? They're already on their last legs and you're pulling the plug on them. And nobody seems to care in the government. Or at least they're not doing anything acting like they care. No plan, no relief, no bailout. It's like, what's going to happen? So I was ranting, raving about it. Marcus Lemonis challenged me. He's like, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Well, I've spent the last couple of days doing exactly that. So we're going to donate half a million dollars and we've come up with a plan. Is it the best plan? No. The best plan is the government getting off their ass and issuing relief, billions of dollars to these small business owners who are losing their livelihoods and have no recourse and no way to save it through no fault of their own.
3: Now, I think this is really great, but it. it- It is just tragic that we need to rely on companies to step it up because our federal government isn't. And by the way, that was Dave Portnoy, the uh, president of Barstool Sports. Now, uh, a court in Ohio, you know, before this week, Ohio was one of two states that banned trans people from updating the gender marker listed on their birth certificates. But on Wednesday, a federal court struck down the discriminatory policy in a decisive ruling. Judge Michael Watson of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio said the state's four-year-old policy of refusing to correct transgender birth certificates resembled other discrimination-based legislation. So congrats to Ohio and good on this judge for making the right decision. And finally, VP Mike Pence is going to travel overseas for the first time during the COVID pandemic, just hours after Joe Biden is declared a presidential winner. Pence will depart on January 6th for a trip that will include stops in Bahrain, Israel, and Poland and remain abroad through January 11th. The trip kicks off the same day Congress meets to formally count the electoral votes for president and vice president. And actually, under federal law, the Senate president, a role held by the vice president, presents the electoral votes and announces the winner. And then he's, I guess, heading out. He's escaping right after that. And uh, that was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan.
4: All right, so I can't believe we're still talking about this. Tom Cruise's alleged headline-making rant on the set of Mission Impossible 7 has sparked a debate online and, of course, among his peers. Mm -hmm. This is the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Now, if you have not heard the clip, here is a super intense moment right now.
5: They're looking at us and
4: using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again! So most celebs have come to his defense Like George Clooney, which we talked about yesterday Whoopi Goldberg is one of them as well Well, uh, Leah Remney Thinks we should all think twice Before praising the star And a uh, lengthy statement of The actress called Cruz's rant Psychotic, uh, she says Quote, this is not a pandemic That time, uh, Tom and Scientology believe in Unquote um, Remney uh, claimed that Scientologists Are taught to think of the COVID-19 pandemic as a drill invented to make us all react and Scientologists shouldn't be reacting to a global pandemic, but rather just going on with life as normal in their dedication to Scientology and their daily activities. I mean now sure. As I said, you know a little bit about Scientology.
3: No, I dated a Scientologist once.
4: You also went to the Celebrity Center. You are basically I did. a Scientologist. I was, I was brought
3: in there. They were really trying to bring me in, saying I was have a VIP access and everything.
4: She's a Scientologist.
3: You know, if, if that was the case, then he wouldn't have cared and he, was, he would act like this was all okay. So... Perhaps, while he could be a Scientologist, maybe he still believes this is
4: true. Um, I'm not sure. Be- true. Because here's what she continued on saying in her statement. Tom's reaction that was released yesterday shows his true personality. He is an abusive person. I witnessed it. I've been a recipient of it on a smaller level. Now, if you want to continue to read her full statement, uh, statement, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com and check out her conversa- uh, our conversational if we think it was wrong or right just search let's go there on radio.com or wherever you get your podcast that is your t report
3: okay now as the friday deadline looms congress seems to be confident about closing the covid relief package deal over the weekend what you can expect from that next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Stimulus negotiations could move into the weekend as Congress is leaning towards a $900 billion coronavirus relief package. And back with us is the senior editor from The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks for being here for this today.
2: Great to be with you, Shira and Ryan.
3: Okay, so what are they agreeing on here, if they're agreeing on anything?
2: Well, it's uh, still somewhat up in the air, but the the general framework of it is uh, this is going to be money for uh, people who have been sidelined by the coronavirus, people who uh, have been on unemployment. That unemployment is running out, so that's going to be extended to some degree. It looks like there may be stimulus checks going out to many Americans. Uh, It sounds like there'll be about $600. Uh, That's not cast in stone yet, but it looks like that's where they're heading. And uh, it looks like uh, the kind of obstacle that the Republicans had been placing in front of this, which was the idea that they wanted to protect businesses from any liability claims uh, during the virus. And not clear that that's going to be in there. So that could be a victory for the Democrats. Uh, But this is all still up in the air. The one bit uh, that gives everyone a lot of hope that this really is the end game is that Mitch McConnell is saying that he expects a deal and he expects a deal this week. Uh, so not right away, but but this weekend. They're really running right up against it. Next week, Christmas week, most people in Congress want to get the hell out of Washington, uh, but they, they realize that they have to get this done first or there's going to be really people falling off a cliff when it comes to evictions, when it comes to hunger, when it comes to just not being able to pay their bills.
4: So Elon Il- Omar, uh, Representative Elon Omar, she's getting a little backlash today on Twitter because she suggested obviously that $600 she knows is a, is a little bit too little, Um, but $2,400 for a family of four is certainly more than they have right now is what she's quoted saying along with some other stuff. But people are feeling like Democrats aren't trying hard enough to fight for the American people. Is that uh the takeaway that people should be taking from this?
2: It'd be pretty hard to uh, to, to support that argument because uh, the fact is that the Republicans didn't want to do a deal even close to this number. So the fact that they're getting up to uh, perhaps $900 billion, uh, that that is pretty significant given where they were a week or two ago. Uh, the fact is that the Republicans are still running the show. And so uh, any progress along the lines of what we're seeing this deal might be uh, is certainly a step in the right direction. What both Chuck Schumer, the Senate uh, minority leader, and uh, President-elect Biden are saying is that this is, think of this as kind of a, a deposit, a first uh, glimpse of what they hope to do in the new year. And of course, their ability to do something much larger uh, is dependent on what happens with those two Senate races in Georgia. Uh, if they win both of those, they'll be able to really set the terms of the next uh, stimulus Deal. If they don't win both of those seats, then it's going to be another negotiation like this one. Democrats might have a little bit more sway that in give that they'll have the White House and uh, the House of Representatives. Uh, but if the Republicans retain the Senate, these are going to be very modest stimulus packages in the coming months.
3: Yeah, we're again talking to the senior editor of the Washington Post, Mark Fisher, right now. So, was this strategic to marry the stimulus bill with a must-pass government funding package?
2: It's really the only way that this gets done at all. Seen from this Congress is a complete unwillingness and inability to make deals, a complete unwillingness and inability to really progress on almost any topic. Congress has basically been in a do-nothing mode for years now. and The only time they get things done is when they attach bits of policy to these budget uh, things that they have to do. They, ha- they have to keep the government going. The government was going to shut down tomorrow. They've postponed that uh and it is uh only in these last minute uh kind of uh dramas that unfold uh on deadline it's not anybody's idea of the way to do business it's the way this congress has been doing business for coming up on a decade now
4: which is the worst if you ask me but is it possible that there will be a government like a brief government shutdown like senator majority whip john thune said that it is possible is that something that we could expect
2: it's hard to imagine i mean of course it's possible and uh, given the way uh, people in congress are really at loggerheads with each other, to be frank, hate each other's guts. Any kind of a a gumming of the works like that is possible. Uh, But there's tremendous pressure on both sides uh, to get something done. And uh, they happen to have... an area where Trump is not going to stand in their way, at least doesn't look like he will. Uh, And that's a a relatively rare thing uh, on any kind of bipartisan issue. And so they want to take advantage of that, in addition to which they know the kind of pain that is going to be out there at the end of this month if they don't do something quickly. And uh, neither party wants to face that wrath from their constituents.
3: And Republicans are still demanding limits to the Federal Reserve and Treasury Department's emergency lending programs. How could that impact the Biden administration?
2: Well, I mean, certainly there's all kinds of things in here that are going to uh, land on the Biden administration, and To some extent, uh, the Biden folks and the Trump folks are on the same page when it comes to uh, deficit spending and going in the hole as much as they need to to get us through this emergency. Um, But uh, the Democrats obviously want to go with much bigger spending, and they believe that that will get the economy going again, and so they'll be able to pay back some of this money. Uh, Republicans who have been in total big spending mode for the last four years, all of a sudden now are being uh, their old selves again and talking about, oh, the deficit and we we shouldn't be spending too much money. They had to dig deep to to bring that one back, that golden oldie. But uh, there it is.
3: All right. Well, that was senior editor for The Washington Post, Mark Fisher. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Anytime. Uh,
3: Coming up on the show, why America's middle class doesn't exist anymore and who's to blame. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. It seems like America's middle class might not even exist anymore. I mean, once you take off life's expenses from housing, medical costs, debt, child care, elder care, it leaves the middle class living month to month with little savings for emergencies or retirement. And joining us right now is Dr. Christian Weller, a senior fellow at American Progress and a professor of public policy at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me.
3: So, how has the middle class changed over time and even pre pandemic to now?
0: Well, the last 20 years have been a hollowing out of the middle class. What that meant is starting with the recession in 2001, wages and benefits, uh, wages and jobs, and thereby incomes grew very, very slowly. At the same time, costs that we associate with the middle class, such as healthcare, house, safe car, a good car to take me to my work, and a college education for my kids have all become more costly. To bridge that gap between a lack of income growth and rapidly rising costs for key items that make up the middle class, many families went deeper and deeper into debt. We saw that in the run-up to the Great Recession before the recession hit in 2008. We saw that again After the Great Recession, people didn't go as deep into debt for mortgages, but they borrowed heavily uh, for student loans and for car loans to record level highs. And what that meant is that as the recession hit, we had, yes, people had jobs. They may have had okay incomes, but they had no cushions to fall back on because they had uh, gotten so deep into debt to pay for these things, to make a better life for themselves and for the children prior to the recession.
4: So in March 2020, household debt uh, according to Vox.com hit 14.3 trillion dollars, the highest it's been since the 2008 financial crisis uh, when it reached 12.7 trillion dollars. Now, I wonder because back in like last night uh, last year 2019, most people were saying that they were doing okay financially if they were making $100,000 plus. Has our understanding of what it means to be financially okay changed since this time?
0: No, it hasn't really. Uh, but there's sort of two concepts that we have to distinguish. When we ask people, when we when they think sort of financially okay, what they first think about is their paycheck. How much money is coming in and how much do they have to pay in terms of their billions, uh, in terms of their bills. But the other thing that sort of became very clear earlier this year is, it's not just the income that you have, but also how much money do you have put aside if something goes wrong? And obviously a lot of things went wrong, but a lot of things go wrong all the time. People have medical emergencies even outside of a pandemic and they end up with massive amounts of debt. That's sort of the problem. We have paid too little attention to that other side, that, that wealth side, that how much money have you put away for a rainy day fund or to invest in your own future? start a business when a better opportunity arises to move to a different neighborhood or to leave wherever you are to move where the jobs are those things we've put that to the side and when you look at the data yes income started to rise prior to the recession but wealth has been at very low levels we are like at this point yes we have recovered prior to the recession in 2019 we sort of on average wealth for the bottom 50 percent of american households we recovered wealth relative to where we were in 2007 but that's a mean, that's that's the wrong comparison that's only half of the wealth that the average household in the bottom 50% of the american um, population had in, two, in 1999 yeah. so we are in a 20 year hole And we just dug the the hole even deeper with the pandemic.
3: Great. All right. Dr. Christian Weller joins us right now as we talk about the disappearing middle class in America. So is it on this group, this population to change their spending habits? Or is the system just broken and the government and those who have the money and these companies and corporations need to step up for the country?
0: Let's be clear. It's not people's fault the the idea that we have a lot of people who would like to spend money on iPo- iPhones and uh, flat screen TVs is silly the numbers just don't add up for the average person with like if you think sort of like the average white household has about $30,000 in consumer debt they would have to have something like 150 flat screen TVs in their house in order to make that number add up what has been really driving consumer debt and we know that is student loans car loans Medical debt, the things that sort of where the costs are really going through the roof, Um, and the other side is what's happening on wages. We have allowed corporations to become larger and larger and ever more powerful to allow workers to earn fewer and fewer wages for harder work. In those two things, we can do something about that. We can reduce the cost through government actions, through federal government actions. We can reduce the cost of healthcare. We can make colleges affordable and. We can break up large corporations and give workers more power by raising the minimum wage, by making it easier to join a union. Clear steps we can take to rebalance the scale between America's middle class, American working families and corporate America Um, and the costs that American families pay.
3: Okay, well, there you have it. That was Dr. Christian Weller, who's a senior fellow at American Progress and a professor of public policy at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Thanks for joining us.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me.
3: Now, coming up on the show, Elon Musk's latest problematic tweet. He's now complaining about pronouns, really, how social media is reacting next. Let's go
6: there with Shira and Ryan,
3: the new Channel Q. Elon Musk is getting problematic again. Are you ready for this one? Well, he is being blasted on social media after tweeting this. I absolutely support trans, but all these pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare. Really, Elon Musk? Really? Of course. Are uh, we shocked? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) so, so... Grimes, who's his uh, partner and girlfriend, they had a kid together. I mean, they said they were raising their kid gender neutral. So you would think that they get it, but obviously he doesn't. And this is someone who named their baby XAEA-12, and he's saying that pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare.
4: Yeah, I'm not shocked by this. I'm actually surprised that you're so shocked. Um, But yeah, he's he's just someone who's in his own world and doesn't probably really care. And he's been called out before by his girlfriend or baby mom or whatever they're claiming to be. And she deleted her tweet. So it's kind of like, yeah, you're calling him out in public, but... Um, and this was earlier this year when he tweeted pronouns suck and she critiqued him publicly, but then she deleted it. My thing is, if you're going to say something, if you're going to like condone something, say it with your chest, call him out and then text him and then call him and then keep the tweet up there. So you're holding him accountable. It's all about the accountability process here. And someone like an Elon Musk, who probably is just surrounded by yes people, um, that's just proved, like, is he really learning? And also, do we really even care? It sucks that he is not creating an inclusive, you know, probably surrounding for queer people that work for him but like dude i'm not shocked by this at the end of the day he's like the cishet white guy so like they're just doing cishet white guy things
3: yeah he obviously has a lot to learn he doesn't get it meanwhile you know his company is getting uh this big score on the human rights campaigns lgbtq corporate equality index in the past but you know with the leader with the him, the founder, the CEO posting things like this. It doesn't really align. You're not going to, you're not going to be supported by the HRC with tweets like this, just because your company does maybe some good stuff.
4: Yeah. I think with pronouns like that, I uh, will not with pronouns, but with comments like that, I think that it's going to most definitely affect his score moving forward. Um, but also it just proves that he's just not a good person and we should really stop uplifting and giving energy to people who are so I mean obsessed with their own selves that thinking pronouns and knowing someone's pronouns is like a bad thing like girl what it's Yeah,
3: there there were some really uh, powerful tweets and responses to this, as you can imagine. Uh, Amy Vanderpool said, complaining about pronouns that you likely never actually struggle with is not supportive, by the way. You know, like uh, this guy, Manny, was like, guy who named his kid XAEA12, cannot fathom using three different pronouns. Um, And uh, speaking of HRC, which we talked about, activist and writer Charlotte Clymer, who's the former secretary of the HRC, said, most of that score that we talked about for tesla is based on one policies protecting against discrimination such as respecting pronouns and two maintaining an inclusive culture such as respecting pronouns points can also be deducted for things like this tweet so figure it out elon yeah don't post this and don't think these things and learn and stay away from all of us who want to continue to evolve and move society forward Uh, Now coming up on the show, of course, we've got what's trending this hour. The crazy COVID-19 statistic coming out of L.A. County. More details on that next.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan,
3: the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the push for prisoners to be prioritized for the COVID-19 vaccine and what experts discovered about food insecurity across L.A. County after their recent study. That's coming up over the next hour on Let's Go There. But first, here's how you can celebrate the holidays with us.
4: Oh, yes. Yeah. So Channel Q presents Pop Goes Christmas, honey. Now, this is a moment that you have been waiting for. Don't say Channel Q's never Giving you anything, tune in Sunday, December 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for our holiday music special with music performances from pop diva Ava Max, Why Don't We? and special guest appearances and interviews with Mariah Carey, Sam Smith, Miley Cyrus, and Sean Mendez, and so many more. You can listen right here on your favorite Channel Q station. Simply download the radio.com app or ask your smart speaker to play Channel Q. It's that easy. That's Sunday, December 20th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Pop Goes Christmas made possible by our friend at Atlantic Records. For all the details, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com and be sure to follow us at we Are Channel Q.
3: Okay, now it's time for some What's Trending this hour. An employee at a Denny's quit her job after two men claimed that, as Christians, they have a religious exemption to the state's mask mandate. Here's that that moment captured on video that's now being shared on social media. We,
0: we have a religious exemption but we don't want, we just don't want to wear a mask. You're
5: required to, have a,
1: mask to a mask Pardon me? You're
5: required to
1: have a mask. So, it's religious belief,
0: huh? It's under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that we have an exemption, religious no,
4: I, exemption. You
3: know what, I quit,
5: I quit. I
4: fucking quit. I, what is wrong with you people? Ma'am, we're not Roger,
5: safe. I'm not working for the shit anymore. These guys won't put their mask on.
0: Why are you discriminating against us, yes, ma'am? I'm
5: not discriminating
4: against you. Yes, you are. Roger, I can't do this. You can't. We'll stop.
2: I'm sorry, you can't come in without a mask. The governor
0: Aye. has said no mask, no service. Sir, the, the, the Civil Rights Act says we, have, we can claim a religious exemption for not wearing a mask. We're I, not sick.
5: No, not here.
0: Okay, and then you you've mm-hmm. lost our business. Okay. We'll go somewhere else. Thank you. I'm
3: sorry. I mean, I give it to her. I mean, like, she, Listen, I, I at that point, I'm sure I, there's been many people trying to do that at her restaurant. You know, she deserves a prize, and it totally makes sense that she would have wanted to quit.
4: And it's just a Denny's, and I would have quit too, because Denny's is not worth your life.
3: Well, that too. Uh, in a statement, Denny said that it is aware of the situation and that the safety of our employees and guests is our top priority, and we'll always abide by all applicable regulations and guidelines to ensure that priority is met uh you know the men in the video claim that they have a religious exemption to following the law i hate when they use this excuse it's not even like valid at all and that's an exemption that does not exist by the way the civil rights act of 1964 uh quote does not guarantee your entry into any particular business establishment according to the national law review it just bans discrimination based on a number of categories one of which is religion so get it right folks who use this as an excuse and just wear your masks really now shout out to our listeners in palm springs on 103.1 fm we've got some news coming out of palm springs during the palm springs chamber of commerce meeting the city announced they approved a residential rental assistance program the city council has allocated four hundred fifty nine thousand dollars of community grant funds especially for covid19 relief And that's going to be launched January 2021. It would provide a one-time rental assistance of $3,500 per household to cover two to three months of rent. And payments will be made directly to the landlord. That's pretty huge. Good job, Palmstrings. Better than our federal government can do. Now, L.A. County health officials are saying that one in every 80 county residents is believed to be infected with COVID-19. Okay, Uh, as transmission rates continue rising in the aftermath of Thanksgiving, the county's health officials issued really intense warnings against future holiday gatherings as California became the first US state to report more than 50,000 new COVID 19 cases in a single day. As California's total case count climbed past 1.6 million this week, health officials said LA County had a total of 539,000 or so cases, and that doesn't include Long Beach or Pasadena. And according to county health officials, the recent surge in new cases is because of residents ignoring recommendations to stay home over the Thanksgiving holiday
4: So that's happening over
3: here. Uh, What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
4: All right. So let's dive into the T Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Vanessa Bryant is having some family issues, and it is not good. So she claims her mother is trying to extort her family with the lawsuit that she filed against the widow earlier this week. Uh, Sophia Lane claims in her new suit that Kobe Bryant promised to take care of her indefinitely. But after his January death, Vanessa has failed to make good on the commitment and has even ordered her to move out of the home that the basketball player let her live in. Um, we reported back on that whole move out situation because the mom actually went on television and gave an like uh, interview saying of how you know awful Vanessa was being and it was literally after. Mm-hmm. Kobe had just passed and Vanessa called her mom's lawsuit frivolous, disgraceful, and unimaginably hurtful. Uh, Vanessa said that Lane was never a personal assistant or nanny for the family, noting that as a stay at home mom, that she took care of their daughters full time herself. Now Vanessa claimed that she supported her mom for 20 years and that the pair let Sophia live on one of their properties for free. Then when Vanessa began seeking a new home for her mom, a week later, She went on television and gave an interviewing, disparaging our family is what's quoted. And so I hate this for her because she's already going through so much. She lost a daughter. She lost her husband earlier this year. That takes time to get over. And the fact that money seems to be the root of these issues grows. Sad.
3: Yeah, I can't imagine. That's sad. And your mom, the one person that's like your blood there to support you during this time causing more trauma is just horrible
4: yeah so sending lots of love to vanessa and hopefully this gets fixed and it's no longer in the news that is your T reports check out this story at we are Q. Com. and of course keep us followed at lgt show everywhere
3: now coming up next on the show why justice reform activists are demanding that covid19 vaccines be prioritized for prisoners we'll be back in two minutes
6: Let's go there with Shira
3: and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As the country is strategizing COVID-19 vaccine distribution, activists are bringing up a community in need that could be overlooked, prisoners. And joining us right now is Ashish Prashar, who's a justice reform activist, Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, you wrote about this with NBC News, a great piece. Why was it important for you to touch on this subject? Why should prisoners be prioritized for the vaccine?
7: Well, I guess we uh, should start with history. I mean, incarcerated people have deliberately been overlooked and have been treated as disposable in U.S. history because, you know, incarceration here is based on systemic racism. So it's legalized racism against black and brown people in America and it it 19 has further exposed those systemic inequalities and if we're taking basic epidemiology you go to the source of the biggest outbreaks right and in if you think of historic examples of that we think of ebola you know president obama sent troops and vaccines to west africa to tackle it where it was breaking out in its biggest uh, big, biggest clusters the biggest clusters in america right now are our prisons the six or seven biggest clusters in america are killing lots of people and infecting more people who've got pre-existing conditions and risking their lives in, um, in our backyard in America, and yet Prisoners and other incarcerated folks in jails are not being prioritized by, by our government. So you
4: wrote, elected officials must show some backbone by protecting this highly vulnerable population for both moral and health reasons. Now, as we've seen the history of this and our country's you know, current handling of this pandemic, should we really be expecting a moral standard at this point?
7: The good thing about the U.S. also is that states play a massive role in how we do all of this. And, and sadly, I think everything should be done from the federal government. You know, I come from the United Kingdom originally, and, you know, the response to COVID in most of European countries has been done by their, their version of federal government, which means everyone's getting the same treatment. Obviously, we've not had that leadership from the top here in the United States, but states who control most our prisons, frankly, can make the choice to give this vaccine to people who are incarcerated right now. So there is another way that doesn't, uh, doesn't have to rely on the current federal government, which has been immoral. And we had a president who put someone to death in the middle of his lame duck period and hasn't been dealing with the vaccine, but has been trying to accelerate the death penalty during this period. Yeah, and, you know, and on the public health outcome part of this, it's not our job to say who's deserving and who's not. By the way, I want to take one step back. People who've also been dying, 80% of people who've caught infection and died in Texas, in, are in jails. Some of them haven't even been sentenced. So we've actually, com- we've actually got people having the death sentence put on them without even being charged of a crime yet, mm. but they couldn't afford bail. That is literally why they're in jail right now. So we are actually criminalizing poverty still, and we're killing people because of poverty. And it makes co- it, it, common sense epidemiology calls the population that is at high risk of disease, that people with pre-existing conditions, people with other health concerns, people who are elderly, people with underlying conditions, or, these people all reside in our prisons in America. We have this assumption that everyone is, you know, young and a gangbanger or whatever you want to, however, you know, media portrays these individuals. The reality, they're just people like us on the outside. And we need to be uh, judicious about how we Sentence people before this, anyway, we should have been decarcerated people at the beginning of this pandemic because they couldn't social distance like us. They couldn't sanitize like us out here. They couldn't, they haven't even got cleansing conditions to have showers right now.
3: Ashish Prashar, again, is with us, justice reform activist. Now, you mentioned uh, local officials, what they're doing, uh, specifically Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, who's a Democrat. She hopes to improve the situation going forward. What exactly is she doing or what did you see that others were doing?
7: Well, historically, as um, we've never had a disaster program for prisons. I go back to Hurricane Katrina, where we, where we rescued pets, dogs and cats, before we re- rescued incarcerated people. You know, we've ne- um, on Rikers Island during hur- um, Hurricane Sandy. We left people on the island when water was rising around the island. We've never cared. We've never put. Co- we've never put correctional facilities or people who are incarcerated, and we've never shown them any love. Frankly, Senator Tammy Duckworth introduced some legislation that would. Um, change disaster preparedness and she the act would require the FEMA to put um, the Bureau of Prisons in its list of priorities and recommends that basically the Correctional Advisory Board would have a formerly incarcerated person on its board that would put their lives and those lives of people by the way People who have relatives on the outside, people who are other citizens, who are your neighbors, you put those people's lives as a priority as well. So we'd make sure they were part of our disaster relief plans, just like anyone else on the outside.
4: Right. So I guess as we wrap this up, why do you think people still don't view incarcerated people as a part of society? How, How do we change that? And are these issues considered too radical or too progressive?
7: It's various factors. We're almost preconditioned to think of them as different but the reality is they're not a separate society. You know, um, Joe Biden, when he won the presidential election, banged the desk and said "You know, to black voters, you've had my back and I will always have yours. The sad truth of it is that one in three black men in America would go to prison at some point or a jail at some point in their life. If Joe Biden or any official on the co- administration coming in should care about the rights of people of color or black citizens, they should be protecting their relatives other human beings who are incarcerated often for reasons that relate to poverty, not for actual crime. All right,
3: Ashish Prashar, thank you so much for your powerful words. Ashish again is a justice reform activist. Thanks so much for being here.
7: Thank you guys. I appreciate your time.
3: Now coming up on the show, food insecurity was always an issue, but it's gotten worse with COVID-19. And a new study is revealing what needs to be done to get us out of this dire situation that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. According to an article in The Conversation, the number of Americans who can't get enough food is rising from already troubling levels during the pandemic, uh, and it even increased after that. So the U.S. Census Bureau has reported that about one in 10 Americans said in November 2020 that their household sometimes or often does not have enough to eat in the previous week. That's really worrisome. And joining us right now is someone who did an entire study around this. We want to get into the takeaways and what she discovered, Dr. Kayla DeLahaye, Assistant Professor of Preventive Medicine at USC. Thanks for being here.
5: Thanks for having me.
3: All right. So let's get into this. Uh, why did you decide to track food insecurity specifically in LA County?
5: You know, food security and insecurity has always been an issue in the county. There's, um, You know, historically, when this has been tracked, uh, one in four low-income households have been food insecure in a normal year. And so when we saw the pandemic hitting and how much this was impacting people's incomes, um, them being ill, but also just all of the collateral damage that's happening on the food system, so... You know, it was hard to get food from stores early on in the pandemic. It's scary to go out into a grocery store, um, especially for people who rely on public transportation and grocery prices are going up. So we saw all of these different things happening and um, suspected that this was going to become a really uh, big issue to try to understand um, and find creative ways to tackle because it wasn't going to go away soon. This pandemic has been with us for a long time.
4: Yeah, and even before the pandemic, food insecurity was always an issue, right? And I think now that we have the pandemic as an added factor, what does the timeline look like after pandemic? Are people still going to be struggling even worse than before? What What was some of your you know study telling you about that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think, That's one of the things that we're really worried about. When we look historically, um, one of the biggest spikes in food insecurity that has happened in the last 20 years was during the recession in 2008. So we saw a big uptick from 10% to about 14% then, and it took a decade to recover. And that was a pretty acute and more time-constrained crisis. So what we're seeing now is the spike of food insecurity really hit hard in April and May in LA County and, and across the country. And a lot of folks have recovered, but the levels that we're seeing now on a monthly basis are still probably three times higher than what we might see in a normal month in LA County. And we are worried that, you know, like we saw after the, the recession, that it takes a long time for people to recover. So even, you know, thinking forward to what's going to happen in the next few months, a lot of people who might have had delayed rent or are still out of a job or aren't sure if they're going to get benefits and unemployment insurance. You know, we're really not sure how these people are going to manage uh, moving forward over the next year and if they're going to be able to allocate enough money for food as they try to cope with all of these other things.
3: So sad. It, it really is sad to hear. And it's it's overwhelming because, I mean, I personally, I I, I don't want to see this. I don't want to live in a society like this. And it's really hard to witness and then hear the data, right? How real it is. And again, we're talking to Dr. Kayla Delacay, Assistant Professor of Preventive Medicine at USC about a study she did about food insecurity across LA County. Are we seeing the same same thing nationwide and how um, are, are are we taking lessons from anyone outside of LA County? Is anyone doing it properly or dealing with this?
5: So we we are starting to get a snapshot of what's going on across the country. The census bureau has been asking a few questions about, um, you know, if people have enough to eat and the kind of the story is that it's, this is getting worse and becoming an issue most everywhere California and L.A. County are sort of looking like the average um, in terms of how much worse it's getting. There's places where it's gotten a lot worse than it has in, in California, for example, some areas of the south and other places where, you know, food insecurity hasn't really gotten too much worse during the pandemic. So we're sort of in the middle of the road. I think you know, what we hope with this study and what we're seeing happening in LA County is there's some real lessons that can be learned about what is happening here and what's working here um, that that we can share with other places. And one of those is I think there's a lot of folks in the county that are working at LA County government that are at different, you know, uh, food organizations that are thinking a lot about food justice. And so, you know, they, everyone knows we need to get money and food into food banks and quickly out to people who really need it. But there's also a lot of people thinking about how do we make our food system stronger and food justice happen in the County? And, you know, what does that look like? Does it look like, you know, investing more in neighborhoods that don't have good enough access to grocery stores or helping out small businesses right now that are really struggling to, you know, keep getting food in and feeding people. I think there's a lot of creative things happening in L.A., you know, that we can share with other areas and, you know, what we're seeing working in LA and across the country, you know, one of the biggest impacts is really getting people access to government programs like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And unemployment benefits, like getting that regular money that just helps you with your bills and getting food um, is one of the things that's helping people shift from being food insecure to food secure.
3: All right, well, we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, we're gonna continue our conversation with Dr. Kayla DeLaHaye right after this.
6: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan,
3: the new Channel Q. We are back talking about food insecurity in L.A. County and a new study that was done with Dr. Kila Delahaye, an assistant professor of preventive medicine at USC.
4: Has your data allowed you to take that to like local governments to see what they can do to actually make sure we're implementing more change and what that looks like?
5: Yeah, um, you know, when we started this project, an office at the University of Southern California called the Public Exchange, their whole job is to partner researchers with public and private partners to solve problems. And so I you know, went knocking on their door and asking about food insecurity. And right away, we teamed up with the county government. So the government has set up a, a food security branch within L.A. County. We meet with them every week. Um, We meet with community partners pretty regularly, folks that are running food pantries and, you know, trying to work out how to do this in a, in a pandemic. So we put out two reports and I mean, for me, this has been one of the kind of coolest team science projects I've worked on where we're getting like data and, you know, we're been partnering with Yelp to get information about like food stores and if they're closing. And then every every week we meet with government folks to talk to them about, you know, what they're hearing from their stakeholders, give them our reports, uh, share data about, you know, who's still food insecure, who is using government programs and not. Um, and then they've been using that to help tailor the programs that they're putting out during the pandemic. Is
3: it simplifying it too much or superficial to say like empowering people to make their own food and how much are we going to see like the uh, the making, having your own gardens and making your own food and educating different communities about that? Is that something we're going to see?
5: That might be part of it. I mean, I think we know in public health nutrition that giving people information about how to eat healthy isn't really the thing that we need to do the most we need to make it easier for people to get enough food and get healthy food and so you know that might look a little bit more like community gardens but that might not work for every community Um, we know that time shortage is a real challenge for a lot of folks getting you know getting food getting on a bus to go get food making their own food so you know it's going to look different and probably it's really going to be focused on what do what do we need to do to make it more accessible meaning more like closer spatially accessible cost accessible culturally accessible time accessible for people to get food and get food that's healthy and food that they like and they want to eat
4: yeah so I guess Kayla my thing is is what's the goal here is the goal to completely get rid of food insecurity is that even a realistic idea?
5: How do we, where do we go next? Like, how do we move past where
4: we currently are?
5: Yeah, the goal is definitely to get rid of food insecurity because we're a wealthy nation. People should not be hungry. That, is, that should be the goal, I think. To achieve that, you know, this is what we think of in, in public health as a really complex problem. And there's a lot of factors. Like, we need to get rid of poverty to get rid of food insecurity. Um, you know, it's not... It's not an issue where, like, a band aid, like, just you know, make giving out uh, food boxes to the people that need it, is that doesn't fix it. That helps someone eat in a day, but that doesn't prevent them from being food insecure next week. Right. To really address this is thinking about our food systems, how food is produced, how much it costs, you know, things like are grocery stores going into low income neighborhoods because is, do they think it's profitable or not? Who's delivering food where, And you know, what's the quality of food that ends up in all these places. And then, you know, do people have money and time to be able to get food? So, yeah. All right. That was Dr. Kayla
3: Dillakay, assistant professor of preventive medicine at USC. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks
5: so much for having me and talking about this.
3: Now coming up on the show, we've got what's trending this hour. TikTok is banning a certain type of video. Will you be impacted? That's next. Let's go there with Shira
6: and Ryan, the new channel Q.
3: Coming up on the show, how racial stereotypes drive black students away from careers in the sciences. Plus more on the trans jeopardy winner, making headlines and going viral on social media. That's coming up on this hour of let's go there. But first, here's a way you can celebrate the holidays with us. We've got something big coming up this weekend.
4: So Channel Q presents Pop Ghost Christmas. Tune in Sunday, December 20th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern for our holiday music special with music performances from Pop Diva, Ava Max, Why Don't We? And special guest appearances and interviews um, with Mariah Carey, Sam Smith, Miley Cyrus, and so many more. All you got to do is listen right here on your fan, uh, your favorite Channel Q station. Simply download the Radio.com app or ask your smart speaker to play Channel Q. It's that easy.
3: Okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Republican Governor Stitt has moved teachers up on the vaccine distribution priority list alongside frontline health workers.
0: Today, I'm pleased to announce that I've directed the State Department of Health to move K-12 through teachers and support staff who interact with students up to phase two of our vaccine distribution plan. Our teachers are so important to me. We know this more than ever before, especially the moms and dads who have tried to help teach their kids through distance learning. We're gonna get through this and we're gonna get our kids back to school safely.
3: That's good news coming out of Oklahoma. Uh, But now let's move on to TikTok. They've announced updates to their community guidelines this week, which include a new policy against content related to multi-level marketing, Ponzi, and other get-rich-quick schemes. In a statement to BuzzFeed News, a spokesperson for the company said, it has multiple measures in place to reduce the spread of misleading content, including content that aims to deceive people for financial gain. So if you've been thinking about sharing something like this, don't. Uh, because you'll get thrown off TikTok. And you probably shouldn't be sharing that anyway. The company hopes to protect users who are vulnerable to financial abuse. And finally, pharmacists have found a way to squeeze extra doses out of vials of Pfizer's vaccine, which would expand the nation's scarce supply by up to 40%. The FDA acknowledges that those extra doses could be used versus thrown away. The Pfizer vials are supposed to hold five doses, but pharmacists have found they have enough for a sixth or even seventh dose. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
4: Okay, so let's dive into the T-Report. Those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Actor Kurt Cameron, uh, you know, he was a teen heartthrob, growing Mm, pains. Well, um, he caught some heat last night for hosting a crowded and non-COVID-19 safety-compliant Christmas caroling event, which he Mm. called a peaceful protest to oppose California's statewide pandemic stay-at-home order. Um, He organized the Sunday rally, his second this month, I might add, complete with a live band and hundreds of people in a mall parking lot in Thousand Oaks, California, according to the footage that he posted. Posted on Instagram. Here he is promoting this protest and talking about his God given rights, whatever. Here
7: he is. Hey guys, here I am in the living room. We just got our ornaments put up on our tree. Doesn't it look beautiful? We are so in the Christmas spirit. I'm all bundled up, as you can see, because I'm getting ready to go out in 38 minutes. It's T minus 38 minutes for our Christmas Caroling Peaceful Protest. I'm so excited. So many friends, uh, so much of our community. Uh, is uh, gathered ready to sing at the top of our voices right next to the mall. We hope you can join us. Uh, We're going to be celebrating our God-given liberties, our constitutionally protected rights at this time at Christmas to sing Christmas songs, to, to, to gather, to assemble, and to sing about the birth of our savior. So,
4: yeah, I mean, he's, a uh, guess a diehard Republican and all about liberty and and catching COVID. That's clear. <laughs> liberty and non-justice for all. Yep. Um, and yeah, I would love to know what your thoughts on. Did y'all attend this peaceful protest? I hope not. Because if you did, you need to be quarantined. And that is your T Report. Follow us at social at LGT Show everywhere. And of course, more on this story at WeArtchhannel
3: All right. Well, now coming up, the studies that reveal how black and POC students are discriminated against in the sciences. And what should be done moving forward? That's next. Let's go there
6: with Shira
4: and Ryan, the new Channel Q. At a time where science is a leader in helping us get to a post-pandemic era, many black and brown people don't feel empowered to embark on a career in the sciences. We're joined by Dr. Ebony O. McGee, Associate Professor of Diversity and STEM Education at Vanderbilt University's Peabody College. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
1: you for having me.
4: So this was such a great article that you wrote because I think right now, as we're seeing so many discussions around science, the vaccine, COVID-19, it really is alarming to know that at the center of this, you know, Black and Brown people are inherently and disproportionately being affected by this, right? And then Black and Brown folks in the sciences are not even feeling empowered to continue their careers. What what were you seeing that was like, We need to be bringing attention to this.
1: Well, a lot of times we tend to focus on those who drop out in STEM. And I think it is a very necessary conversation. I was just reading the book about Stacey Abrams and come to find out that she wanted to be a physicist. So she majored in physics and was told at Morehouse College by a black male physicist, no doubt, Mm -hmm. that she probably wasn't cut out for this. So I'm just wondering how many Stacey Abrams have we missed out on? But there's also folks who, like, what about the people who do make it through? We tend to just kind of market them as quote unquote successful without problematizing some of their success. So as you heard from the two stories, even the, the Black woman and the Black man were successful in STEM in terms of traditional signs of success, but still had to endure the kind of unrelenting force of racial stereotypes. And what does that do to one's energy and labor if they have to use it to manage stereotypes? That doesn't leave a lot of room and space in one's brain to actually innovate and be creative and be, you know, have the ingenuity they need for uh, STEM innovation.
3: Yeah, you've been collecting over 300 or so of these stories over the past decade as a researcher of structural racism in STEM fields. So yeah, let's talk about that. How does this impact students psychologically and physically? And how have these students been able to move forward?
1: So I'm not exaggerating when I'm talking about young Black people and or people of color, um, which I include, Indigenous Folks, Latinx, and I even include Asian because there's something about being at the top and being Asian, which is particularly toxic, but we never, we don't tend to include that population. So these young people having fibroids, miscarriages, hospitalized for exhaustion, panic attacks, anxiety, depression. I mean, these are our future leaders of America. Uh, particularly of STEM technology. And what they are enduring is that you have to suffer for STEM success and the suffering doesn't seem to end. So even the PhD does not save you from being the brunt of stereotypes and posturism, feeling as though you don't belong and you don't have a sense of belonging.
4: Yeah. And Dr. Ebony O. McGee is the beautiful voice that you're hearing talking about how racial stereotypes drive Black students away from careers in the sciences. I think there was something in your article where you spoke about racial fatigue. And I would love for you to define that and what that means in a space like this.
1: I wish I could take credit for racial battle fatigue, but that is my friend and colleague William A. Smith, who coined that term. And people always often asked him, was he in the military? And he said, no, it was really what he saw from black males being on predominantly white campuses, where just walking from one class to another is an exercise in trying to prove oneself, prove that they're an actual student on campus and what that did to these black males. So they were experiencing high levels of stress and anxiety. And even though they were making 3.8, 4.0 GPAs, it wasn't indicative of some of the things that they had to go through in order to achieve those high levels of success.
3: Wow. And from your research, have you figured out any solutions for this in terms of these schools? Like, are you advising these schools of what to do moving forward so this doesn't happen?
1: Okay, so there are no simple answers here. So STEM needs to be completely dismantled. STEM was founded on eugenics practices. It was found under measuring the brains of Black people and white people to show that black people were innately inferior. So that whole thing needs to be dismantled. The legacy of it being white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied, slim, Christian, or atheist, that whole narrative is still, it's contemporary. It's not just a historical foundation. It thrives today. So it just needs to be completely dismantled. And when people of color leading the effort, it needs to be redesigned, revised, so folks of color and other marginalized beings are celebrated, not simply tolerated in STEM.
4: Oh, I mean, thank you. Dr. Ebony O'Mcgee, you said what needed to be said, and I appreciate you for joining us.
3: Well, thank you so much. Again, Dr. Ebony O'Mcgee is Associate Professor of Diversity and STEM Education at Vanderbilt University's Peabody College. Let's go there
6: with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're
3: wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day.
4: Yes Queen?
3: Okay, this one goes to Kate Freeman, a transgender woman from Lake Laurian. Michigan, who became the Jeopardy! champion last Friday, but unfortunately lost the title on Monday night. She still is making history, and we love it. She also wore a trans flag pin to represent the community on the show. Here she is with Alex Trebek. We miss him.
0: Uh, Kate Freeman is our champion, ladies and gentlemen. This young lady has kind of a hobby that sounds scary.
7: Yeah, so it's it's actually a
5: new one. A couple of friends had invited me to go to an axe-throwing bar. Um, up in the There are bars? Yes. You drink and you throw axes at wooden targets.
0: I don't think that's a good combination, do you?
5: It was very fun.
3: So this has been just so great to see and celebrate. She actually uh, told the outlet M Live, I spent a lot of time learning about and reflecting on my gender identity in grad school, coming out as transgender and lesbian a few months before graduating. I'm proud to be out, and I know representation is important.
4: Yeah, I love this. This is exciting. I mean, Jeopardy is such a wonderful show. We talked about it plenty of times here, and I'm excited for her. This is wonderful.
3: Yeah, she's a financial analyst, and she took home $5,559 in cash winnings. So a yes queen to Kate Freeman.
4: Yes, queen.
3: And Alex Trebek, you know. Do you think you would ever compete on Jeopardy, by the way, Ryan? No,
4: I'm not that smart
3: there's like a smart a certain smart for jeopardy you don't need to be like uh, there's all different types of smarts and there's a jeopardy smart you know where you just know trivia and all that stuff
4: yeah i mean i would do good on the pop culture round and just like the random round about like i don't know crossword puzzles or something but
3: okay so if they do a celebrity jeopardy maybe we can submit ourselves
4: Well, we would first have to become celebrities.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That does it for our show today. But we're back tomorrow, same time, here live on Channel Q4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about the first abortion case of the Amy Coney Barrett era, which is now before the Supreme Court, Uh, plus why health insurance for the LGBTQ plus community doesn't have the same benefits as same-sex couples and what's being done to change that. That is on tomorrow's show as well as much more. But in the meantime, remember we have a podcast. If you miss any of our segments, our interviews, we post everything as a podcast episode. Just go to the Radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stay tuned for Dr. Chris and Loveline right after this. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye,
4: y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, why queer couples are being offered different benefits than straight couples when it comes to health insurance and what's being done to change that. Plus,
3: teleportation might exist according to researchers. Ryan, are you excited?
4: Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it.
6: Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast
5: on the Radio.com app.